Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Mornings with Carmen here on the 20th of September. Carmen LeBurge is away on a speaking engagement in Houston, Texas, and I'm filling in with uh, for her today and uh, yesterday as well in studio with Paul Perot. I'm Dr. Peter Kapsner, enjoying my time back with all of you, thinking about you listening all over sort of the Midwest and in Hartford, Connecticut, and streaming it live through the app. I know people are also even listening overseas. It's such a delightful encouragement to just get up like this together in the morning, whether you are drinking your coffee right now, trying to drag yourself off to work the kids on the bus. Whatever your situation in life, we are in this kingdom journey together here as part of Mornings with Carmen. And heard a bit from Carmen yesterday, texted back and forth. I know there's quite a bit of rain down in Houston as well, Paul yeah. I think, did I hear something in the neighborhood of 45 inches of rain in 24 hours? And, I haven't heard the numbers, yeah, but I was listening this, this morning, hearing some news reports, and it was not good. Yeah, pretty extreme rain. And it's not the first time, obviously, in the last few years we've seen some well, pretty significant Harvey. flooding. Yeah, right? That I mean, was a hurricane. This well, is just a... You know, what is it, Melda, a tropical depression? And yeah. it's just, just been dumping. It has been dumping, that's oh. for sure. Well, we've got a big show ahead in the first hour. We're reviewing uh, some of our guests with uh, Matthew Hawkins, a uh, regular contributor, public theologian, lots to cover with Matthew, as well as some further conversation with Daniel Bennett, who is part of the Center for Faith and Flourishing at John Brown University. And Paul, as you and I were working through so many of the different headlines and topics of the morning, it's a pretty heavy morning. I mean, there's a uh, lot happening. Yes, it is. And it's, it's one of those things I was thinking on the way in that uh, I w- I'd be curious your perspective on this, that it seems like we're engaged certainly in some kind of culture war in the United States, and it seems to be getting a little bit worse, and it's manifesting in all sorts of spheres of public life, from politics to business life together to even beginning to affect families and friendships. And it's just a, it's a pretty tricky time to be talking about this stuff. And the crazy thing is we keep thinking about these macro issues, abortion, which is a real issue. Right. Don't get me wrong. Right. Or un- immigration, real issue. Don't get me wrong. But we can't live very well together right now. We, we right. can't even talk about it, seriously talk about it in a humble fashion and try and come to a resolution. It's just my side against your side. Your side's always wrong. You're evil. You're, you know, it, we, we've. We've gone off the rails. Yeah, we really have. And I think it's a, a significant opportunity for us as believers to reimagine, reconsider, rethink uh, who we are in this world, because we've never meant to be part of the streams of different sort of cultural life or uh, of p- political life. Mm-hmm. We've always been a people who have been meant to be set apart and called apart in a different way of life that transcends all of these other things. It speaks into them. It, we, we participate within them. But to get swept up on one side or the other, I think moving forward with whatever's going to happen over these next couple of years it would be a real big mistake. We've got to think about our own life together and, and cover this stuff from that kind of perspective. Exactly. I mean, when you get down to it, a lot about what Jesus talked in Scripture, what well, the Scriptures talk about, is not just um, having the right position, right. but carrying it out the right way, right, having right. the right heart in the, in the matter. I mean, you look at Jesus, you've you, you got these laws, you've got them right, you're, you're following them wrong, and right. you, f- you forget what they're meant to do, which ultimately is to point to him, but that's yeah, yeah. another discussion. 
No, it's so, but that is the way of life in which we're called. And I know Matthew Hawkins is a person who also lives in sort of that third way of Christianity. He's our first guest here this morning. I'm looking forward to getting started with him. We're going to cover a little bit about some of the disturbing headlines out of Planned Parenthood, as well as some pretty interesting things happening on university campuses with Young Life in particular and mm-hmm. their ability to bear witness in our university world. So lots to come here on Mornings with Carmen. Welcome to the show. I'm Peter Kapsner, hosting for the day. Man, I don't know, Matthew. That's slow jazz. You know, it's not waking me up just now. It's, it's, it's sort of put me to sleep here early in the morning. How'd you how'd you pick that music? That's beautiful. Well, it's Mercy, 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 which is an old jazz classic, and there are lots of versions of it. And uh, I actually have a more up tempo version of it, but I couldn't. Uh, it's you know, it's copyright protected or something, so I, I couldn't get it to, couldn't get it to Paul to use his no. But Mercy, 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 it's a classic. Uh, uh, Cannonball Adderley tune. That's uh, pretty cool. It's been one of my favorites for. I've got like three or four. Uh, versions of it. So it's one of my favorites. I love it. That's great. Well, we're talking with Matthew Hawkins this morning here on Mornings with Carmen, public theologian, former policy director for the ERLC. And Matthew, you and I were going back and forth in email last night deciding if we should dive into this stuff or maybe just keep it on the level of pizza, football, and, and some other right. topics like fad diets. But uh, but you decided to jump in, which I appreciate. So I, starting out with some of the Planned Parent, uh, Parenthood headlines, they've been in the news for quite a while now. And it seems yeah. like some of the practices of Planned Parenthood are being increasingly exposed. We also see some controversy with the former president. Uh, there's quite a bit there, but I, I, I am sometimes disturbed by the headlines. But uh, in this particular case, I was uh, terribly disturbed by sort of what's happening that we, we've seen bits of. But uh, tell us a bit yeah. more about all of that right now. Yeah. So the big picture is I think uh, I, I see our culture at a point where kind of the extremes uh, and the darkest spaces among us are performing and communicating with impunity, really. Uh, And by that, I mean uh, people are saying things with impunity that, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago, nobody would have said in public uh, the standard for politicians uh, in their rhetoric and uh, and the you know, personal and moral behavior. Um, nobody see few people seem to kind of really care or are able to hold others uh, accountable, right? So the the breaking point for uh, politicians and uh, or, and corporations and things like that used to be uh, there used to be a threshold of uh, what was acceptable and what is not, and we're in an era where a lot of stuff that we didn't think, uh, you know, a lot of things that we thought were career-ending kinds of things or uh, corporation-ending kinds of things aren't really. Um, yeah. and to it, to those things, um, we've witnessed the discovery of over 2,000, 2,246 aborted babies found at the home of a recently deceased abortionist in Indiana. Um, and in, in, it's impossible. Uh, I mean, it's impossible it, to it's, imagine, right? It's just stunning. Now the dark, the darkest part of it is the fact that this, that's exactly what happens. Uh, at abortion clinics all around this country and around the world, um, it's just the mass uh, exposure of it that that shocks the conscience, right? Yeah, uh, this is exactly what folks do now. Apparently, it it is or was illegal for him to uh, collect for whatever reason um, these deceased babies, um, and it's going to be investigated. But he's already deceased, so it's 
what will be interesting to see if there are uh, any accomplices or any patterns of um, of work in in uh, his clinic and and other related clinics that are exposed as a result of that. But that's just you know absolutely horrifying. Uh, and then you mentioned the Planned Parenthood dispute with their former short-lived president uh, Cynthia. Was it Cynthia Wynn? Yes. Um, so she resigned earlier this year after a dispute and, uh, as kind of a philosophical difference. And I think, uh, the scope was basically, she was trying to expand Planned Parenthood's horizon and wanted to downplay the abortion thing and move more to emphasize other women's health issues. She herself is a, is a medical doctor. So she's, you know, professionally competent and, uh, probably didn't, had probably a little stomach for uh, really defending the abortion practice when when the going got tough. Uh, so they parted ways, uh, but we learned this week that there was a uh, a post employment dispute where uh, when accused Planned Parenthood of trying to withhold uh, her own health care that was a part of their severance package. And that's uh, ironic, obviously, for an organization who boasts uh, uh, to be in in the business of providing care for women, especially medical care, uh, which, as you discover, uh, very little of uh, Planned Parenthood actually does much in the way of medical care that's not abortion. Um, but it is ironic. It looks like they have resolved after when went public. Uh, it looks like uh, she... And Planned Parenthood came to an agreement, a private agreement, um, but they didn't like some of the stuff that she was saying in public. And uh, so it was an ironic because she herself actually is a newish mom. And uh, so mm-hmm. to for her former employer uh, with whom she had a, a dispute to breach the uh, their, the terms of their agreement, especially on health insurance, uh, was pretty ironic. It was. And, you know, it's interesting when you talk about the women's rights and how Planned Parenthood has been an advocate for that. I think it's pretty important, is it not, to be seen through the spin of this, that the Planned Parenthood bills itself as this protector of women and women's rights. And right. and if you don't support then all of the platforms of Planned Parenthood, you're anti, you're actually anti-female. And and that those are not logically correlated. You can uh, not support so many of the platforms of Planned Parenthood and be 100% for women as well. So I think at another time we need to have that kind of conversation, right, in terms of what does it mean to support women? Women while also not supporting some of the practices of this particular particular situation, because women have not been treated well and fairly in our country. I think that's pretty objectively certain. Yeah. And I think the case of Wynn also illustrates, uh, re-illustrates to pro-lifers that we need to be mindful that people in the abortion industry uh, are people who could be former, you know, future converts uh, to the pro-life cause. Uh, I'm not saying that that's for when, but clearly there's been a split uh, between Planned Parenthood and when we can pray that maybe her eyes have been opened, um, that uh, both with respect to the behavior of her or her own organization uh, and, uh, you know, some of the most winsome, effective uh, apologists for the pro-life cause are people who are formerly in the abortion industry, be they doctors uh, or nurses or um, or staffers. So uh, I think we always need to be uh, mindful about how we talk about Planned Parenthood, kind of the, the organization and uh, abortion doctors themselves um, versus, uh, you know, staffers and facilitators and um, uh, nurses who 
really, we want to come out of that that life and that industry. So there's always kind of that balance between being a force for truth and exposing Planned Parenthood and also having a tone where uh, we're welcoming, um, you know, basically who people will be future refugees from a mm-hmm. really evil industry. So it's Matthew Hawkins, public theologian, and I appreciate what you said right at the end, that the church can increasingly be the kind of place that does bring holistic healing to the mind, heart, soul, all of that in the midst of some of these troubling situations. When we come back, Matthew, I'd love to change the topic to young life and how young life is being experienced in, on some college campuses, including getting kicked out of Duke University. So that's up next year on Mornings with Carmen. about 19 minutes past the top of the hour. I'm Dr. Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LaBerge this morning, and we're chatting with Matthew Hawkins, public theologian, former policy director for the ERLC, about so many of the different headlines in the midst of what is increasingly seeming a bit of a culture war in our country. And Matthew, at the top of this hour, we talked a bit about the role of, uh, of Christians to be sort of within but distinct from and did not get overly aligned with one side or the other, although clearly in the case of abortion and some of these other topics that there, there really is a right and wrong there. But so much of this, too, yeah. just has to do with, with creating a way of life that is different. And I love the term that you used, uh, refugees, that the church can be a place that's shining a light for refugees that may not be political refugees from another country, though it includes that, but it's the refugees from just a broken world. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a big, uh, a big deal for us to order our, kind of our minds and our hearts around that. Uh, and that's, that's a phrase I, uh, uh, un, unapologetically rip off from my former boss, Russell Moore, uh, <laughs> who, uh, talked about it in light of the LGBT movement, um, and, uh, recognize that that that's a movement like the abortion movement that's making promises it can't keep. And so, uh, ultimately, um, people are going to be finding that their life is, uh, really, uh, not fulfilled, um, in, uh, either whatever they're trying to achieve by uh, getting an abortion or engaging in the LGBT lifestyle or whatever their whatever their um, you know their their identity cultural identity that's that's apart from uh, God's design that's ultimately not going to be fulfilled um, yeah. through through that lifestyle and we need to be prepared for that and it ought to shape our rhetoric um, and how we talk about talk about folks. Yeah. And, you know, Young Life historically has done such a good job of that, too, in college campuses, trying to shine uh, light, be salt in the midst of what can be a difficult environment. Boy, boy, they're increasingly coming under um, quite a bit. I wouldn't say persecution. That's a little strong, but they certainly are not welcome on some college campuses. And Duke, it sounds like, just kicked them out here recently. Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't uh, raise it to the level of persecution quite yet, but certainly discrimination. Yeah, uh, for no, sure. No question about that. And the irony is, uh, you know, long, Young Life is out of all kind of the, the orbit of Christian uh, parachurch organizations. I mean, Young Life is not one that I've ever known to be, uh, you know, the culture where the culture warrior mantle, that kind of thing. You know, I mean, Young Life is pretty, uh, I mean, I say this in a good way, really like docile. Yeah. Uh, with respect to uh, political issues um, and doesn't really engage in that, but because they uh, nevertheless uh, still retain that same-sex relationships are sinful, uh, you know, its policy uh, disallows um, LGBTQ staff and volunteers from holding positions in the organization, and that includes local chapters. Um, and they, they specify, I think, uh, you know, non-celibate. So it's they, I think they understand that uh, people can have a same-sex attraction that they're they're trying to deal with and and not in, indulge um, and and still participate in young life, right? So um, that would be similar to a church. Um, 
but people who are embracing the, the lifestyle in particular, they're not going to allow uh, to be members and certainly not leaderships within their, their chapters. Um, so Duke University, of all places, mm. founded by founded by Methodists and yeah. Quakers. Now, obviously, that's that's old news um, and it's a private, you know, a, a private institution um, that's not that's not remotely tethered to um, uh, the gospel anymore. Um, and this is this is a sticky issue, because if it was a state school, uh, you know, the remedy is wrapped up in the First Amendment. Like they cannot um, disallow student groups, you know, based on religious or they can't disallow student groups based on religious identity and beliefs. Uh, but Duke is a private institution, and this happened at Vanderbilt University, uh, my wife's alma mater, uh, a number of years ago. And it wasn't Young Life. Uh, it might have been, uh, I'm forgetting who that was, I'm sorry. Um, but this is a sticky issue because yeah. you have private institutions who can dictate uh, what that, you know, who qualifies as a student group. And qualifying as a student group matters because you get access to campus, you know, campus office space and, uh, you know, rooms and all that kind of stuff. And like, you know, like you would for a fraternity. And if you're not a recognized student group, you don't get that, that, that kind of thing. It doesn't mean you can't have a campus ministry, but you're going to be meeting off campus and you don't enjoy the perks of being associated as a student, a student group. And so the student government is the folks who disallowed this at Young Life. Frankly, the solution here, I'm skeptical whether it will happen. The solution here is for other Christian groups and other student groups of other faiths and other unique identities to go to bat for Young Life. Um, that is um, what we ought to expect of people who are participating in a pluralist, uh, sociologically speaking, a, a pluralist environment where right. lots of different people share lots of different beliefs and they're all trying to, uh, in this case, um, achieve, uh, you know, get a higher education um, to contribute to their career and their life's enrichment. Um, and it would be really great if some other student groups went to bat for Young Life here um, on campus. Um, there are some folks who might try to, because students who go to Duke receive federal funding, that's kind of a, a leverage point possibly uh, to invoke some legal challenge, um, give, even given that they're a private institution. But that's a long road, and I think it's a pretty untested kind of kind situation. So I wish the best to Young Life. I, I'm glad they're staying, staying strong here. Um, but the, the solution here, if it's going to be a short-term solution, is for student groups on Duke, uh, Duke's campus to go to bat for Young Life. Because obviously, if you're a Jewish group or a Muslim group, you're not going to have, you know, you're not going to be requiring them to uh, include as membership people who aren't Muslim and uh, or who, who aren't Jewish. Right. Right. Uh, and then don't get don't even get me started about <laughs> about fraternities and sororities. Right. Right. Uh, about their behavior and that kind of thing. So uh, this is Young Life has been singled out here in a really unique and disgraceful way. Well, we just have about a minute left or so, Matthew, but it's interesting you reference other religious groups, too. It's, it's sort of ironic to me that most strains of the Islamic faith would be pretty hardcore uh, antagonistic towards anything same gender oriented and, and, uh, yeah. and gay relationships. And yet they're not experienced that there really is a specific energy directed towards Christians in the situation. It's hard to know the origin of that. If it's a spiritual forces kind of thing, if it's just a, uh, being wounded by the church kind of, it's hard to know, but there really is something specific about uh, this with Christians, isn't there? There is. There is. Um, and you, you saw this in the situation with Drew Brees, who uh, right. endorsed a, a program for with focus on the family just for the sake of carrying the Bible right. uh, to school. 
uh, encouraging folks to carry the Bible to school. And, and he got lambasted in the media. Uh, and it had nothing to do specifically um, with uh, human sexuality at all. Uh, but because he did it with a uh, focus on the family, who uh, you know, friends of yours and mine, uh, because they're uh, you know, a pro uh, one, you know, one man, one woman marriage kind of organization, you know, they just, you know, folks on Twitter and the media just kind of uh, threw Drew Brees under the bus because he's associating uh, with our kind of folks. Uh, and so that's the kind of cultural moment in here. Um, but we have faith in the kingdom of Christ. Um, and this, these kinds of things are short term. So we need to lean in. Uh, we need to not walk away, um, and turn our heads, uh, for the sake of our brothers and sisters and, and for the sake of the witness of the gospel. But, uh, we can have confidence and it's not something we can, need to be, you know, angry and shaking our fist about. Well, Matthew, thanks for joining us like this. Appreciate your wisdom and insight and just the way you shine the light of the kingdom on these different issues. Look forward to the next time we have a chance to chat. Have a great weekend, Peter. Yeah, we'll take a short break here and go to the bottom of the hour for some news updates. And when we come back the second half of this hour, we'll be joined by Daniel Bennett of the Center for Faith and Flourishing and continue sort of in the same vein of conversations about how our faith interacts with our culture. Boy, Paul, that last point that Matthew was covering a little bit about sort of the specificity with which some of the energy is being directed against Christian groups in particular that even hold the same positions as other religious groups might, and yet they're not experiencing the kind of discrimination. And I I don't know how to explain that entirely, but one possible, plausible explanation would be related to a passage in Ephesians 6 that our battle really isn't against flesh and blood. There's There are spiritual forces and authorities that kind of have a vicious energy about them to drive out that which might shine light in this world. Yeah, of course— you know, you look at it, we, you, you look in the past several years with some of the scandals that have happened within Christendom, and it's like we've given them fuel. We really But have. then also we're going against what has become culturally very, politically especially, very much against what we believe. So yeah, and Christians have always been easy targets, haven't they? Yep. Since the time of the Roman Empire, it's looking for scapegoats, and they sort of live an unusual way of life, or at least meant to, compared to what's going on in this yeah. world. And when something is a bit of an outlier like that, uh, people can look at it and try to drive it out. And mm-hmm. again, we're not at that point right now, but you see so what we're experiencing right now is not unusual compared to history. No, no, it's actually, this is more normal than unnormal. Absolutely. So I uh, appreciate Matthew Hawkins joining us. And up next year on Mornings with Carmen, we've got Daniel Bennett from the Center uh, for Faith and Flourishing at John Brown University. And Dan and I are going to chat a bit about the 2020 election and some of the divides that are happening there as well. It's important to save money, but don't be fooled by that four-letter word. Hi, I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. Sometimes I have to laugh when I see an ad for something pricey, telling me I'm going to save money if I buy it. I laugh because I would love to save some extra cash, but I don't think buying an item I don't need is going to save me anything at all. As a matter of fact, it will probably do just the opposite, costing me several hundred dollars. Here's what I've found. Nine times out of ten, when I buy something only because it's on sale, I might feel a moment of temporary satisfaction, but it always leads to buyer's remorse. And, even worse, I took money I would have put into savings to buy something that's not saving me anything at all. So don't fall into the sales trap. Even though it's tempting, keep your long-term goals in mind. You'll have more savings in the long run. This is Callie Breeze with Thrivent.
Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen here on the 20th of September. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for the day for Carmen, who's away on a speaking engagement in Houston, Texas. And we're joined at this time by Daniel Bennett. He's part of the Center for Faith and Flourishing at John Brown University. Good morning, Daniel. Good morning. So, and I understand that it's Daniel. We're not going to go with Dan and certainly not Danny, right? That is a, uh, that's fair. I'm going to go ahead and say that's good. <laughs> that's good. We're talking off the area. Yeah, I, I can abide by uh, Pete a little bit, Peter for sure. But if somebody calls me Petey, I just sort of shut down emotionally at that point. Sim- similar for <laughs> Danny for you? I think so. My mom's the only one who can get away with it, but that's because she's my mom. <laughs> I know. Mom's can get away with anything. That's brilliant. She did that. Yeah, that's right. That's great. Well, tell us a little bit about the project you're doing and, and part of at John Brown with the Center of Faith and Flourishing. And then uh, maybe give sure. us a sense about what you mean by the word flourishing, because in a lot of circles these days, it's a bit of a buzzword. It's kind of taken yeah. Christianity by storm in the last five years or so, I would say. Yeah, I think you're right. And so we often get some pushback or some questions about what we mean there. So the center is actually just a few months old. Uh, it's been uh, in, in the process of developing for the last few years. The director of the center, Jay Bruce, who teaches philosophy here at JBU, has been really passionate about uh, creating a center to bring in speakers, to host student programming, to initiate conversations on campus uh, about these issues. And so the issues in the title, Faith and Flourishing, by faith, we specifically are referring to the Christian faith. And by flourishing, we're referring to uh, growth and development through liberty, primarily. So political liberty, economic liberty, religious liberty, how that can encourage and foster growth in people. Uh, and the Christian faith, of course, encourages that, encourages these things. Yeah, would you say it's fair, too, that uh, there's a unique Christian spin to the word flourishing that might be slightly different than how we might understand it in uh, a Western society like the Americas or or Europe or something, in the sense that this isn't about an individual being able to realize all their personalized dreams, per se? No, this isn't uh, th- this isn't a self help center. You know, yeah. we're not encouraging people to come and, and find themselves through through some you know key readings or speaking engagements. What we're it, it's almost you know talking about cultural societal flourishing, like how can cultures and peoples uh, fully develop and recognize uh, potential, not in a new agey way, but just you know in the God given or as as uh, image bearers. You know, how, how can we do this through systems and, and uh, economics, government, et cetera. Yeah, so there's lots to attend to there, and certainly when it comes to the government situation, uh, I would say, Daniel, I don't know if you agree, but it doesn't seem like we're flourishing politically as a society (laughs) at this point in time. So flourishing, maybe not. Uh, I'll tell students, though, you know, our system actually is is working pretty much in line with how it was supposed to. It's not supposed to be efficient. It's supposed to be messy. It's supposed to be uh, difficult. Uh, Now we could you know, get down into the details and say, well, you know, some of the ways we're going about these mechanisms isn't the most productive. Uh, But in general, I'd say the average person says, yeah, we're not flourishing the way we could be. And what do you attribute that to in terms of, you know, where does some of the rancor come from? Is it, you know, it's it's maybe too simplistic to say that this is about power, but uh, but is it about power at the end of the day? Somebody wants to be able to wield power and thus shape the society around them because of it? That's what politics is, really, just struggles for power, uh, at least from the worldly perspective. I think as people of faith, we can try to take that and and, uh, turn it on its head a little bit and say, well, politics is actually about relationships with each other, uh, living living in an ordered society. And so for people of faith, we can come back to, uh, in terms of relationships, well, we have this ultimate relationship. How can we see that acted out in our individual politics as well? And in terms of acting that out, like you, we've been talking this morning quite a bit, Daniel, about the idea of Christians have an invitation to be living out a third way at this point mm-hmm. in terms of uh, not necessarily fully aligning with the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, interacting right. perhaps with those political parties. But what does it mean to be a third way Christian in the midst yeah. of the political conversation? 
I think it just means you don't identify fully with one of the political parties. If you find yourself identifying completely and comfortably with any political party in in a fallen world, I think that's a problem. And I think it deserves some self-reflection. No one political party here on earth is going to reflect the hope that we have in Christ. I think there's good elements of of any political party you're going to find, by and large. Uh, but as soon as we start to get our identities wrapped up in politics, uh, that starts to become an idol and seriously uh, challenges our identity in Christ. Yeah, and you know, it's it's such an interesting thing, isn't it? In terms of um, getting involved. And do you have coyotes chasing you? By the way, with where you are right now. I'm sorry, I'm sitting in my backyard because my kids are probably making noise inside. But that is our rooster. That's your. Is, oh, uh, of course no, it is. Yeah, okay, I don't have, know my we animal kingdom fairly well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so does the rooster wake? Because we have some chickens at home. I haven't taken yeah. the plunge into Roosterville because I'm afraid it's going to wake yeah. me up every morning. Is, is that part of what's well, happening here? It was an ac- it was an accidental rooster. We got chickens <laughs> uh, a few months ago, and the guy said, ah, "I'm sure they're all hens," and we got one rooster out of the deal. So. Uh, yeah, about five thirty, he'll start crowing and say it's time for us to be let out now. So, oh yeah, I, and I had no idea you can actually get chickens in the mail. I, I just it doesn't even make yeah. sense to me to this day. It doesn't make sense to me. So, I'm sorry. well, yeah. the, we we enjoy the accidental rooster here on mornings with accidental Carmen, and uh, I have absolutely no way to transition back to politics. But let's take a shot That's at all right. it. Uh, I think in terms of some of the policies, do you would you suggest that there are policies within either platform? that are more or less aligned with the Christian faith? I mean, I know there's not a perfect alignment, but when you sort of survey the landscape of both platforms, would you say, gosh, you know, we should maybe look this direction at the Republican Party that's most in alignment or this direction with the Democratic Party? Do you think in those terms or is that even a way to process all of this? I mean, you can. Uh, I mean, it just from a practical perspective, it helps us make decisions when it comes to voting. And so, you know, if you're if, if you're looking at an issue like the, you know, human dignity and, and, and life or something, you could say, well, you know, the Republican Party's position on, on abortion encouraging, you know, a pro-life ethic. I mean, that is a that's a good. And I think Christians should be supportive of this. At the same time, you could look at the Democratic Party's support for more generous health insurance provided by the community, provided by government even, and say, well, that also fosters an ethic of life as well in some ways. Um, You could take that to, you know, respect to the death penalty. You could talk about it in terms of immigration. Um, So I think there's a little bit in both parties that we can can latch on to from any issue. It's just a matter of of doing so in a way that reflects uh, the hope that we have. Hmm. Chatting with Daniel Bennett this morning, Associate Professor of Political Science at John Brown University. And Daniel, we'll take a short break. When we come back, let's uh, stay within this lane of politics a little bit and talk about sure. the sort of the Christian support, conservative Christian support of Donald Trump. And so we'll come back next with you and the accidental rooster here on Mornings with Carmen. It's just about 13 minutes before the top of the hour here on the 20th of September. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LaBerge this morning, and we're having an engaging conversation with Daniel Bennett and the Backyard Livestock uh, in terms of waking <laughs> us up in the morning with the rooster. You know, Paul Perot was suggesting that maybe this is a hint, Daniel, that you need to move from sort of public policy into an ag degree of some kind. Yeah, you know, uh, if this doesn't work out for me, uh, it's good to know that we can go that direction. I love it. Well, I appreciate the just sort of the insight into our political sphere. It's it's hard for me to believe that we're actually looking more in the rearview mirror now at 2016 mm-hmm. and anticipating in 14, 15 months the 2020 election cycle. And it's almost getting to a point, is it not? And maybe it's it's because of the Internet and social media and the way news organizations cover it 24-7 that we're in a perpetual state of election, either contesting the last results of the election or now looking forward to the next one and it gets exhausting a little bit after a while 
Yeah, I mean, researchers refer to this as the permanent campaign, right? So as soon as the last campaign ends, the next campaign begins for members of Congress, certainly for the presidency. I mean, on the morning after the presidential election, there's lots of articles written about, okay, who's going to run in 2020? (laughs) What are the candidates looking like? Yeah. And with that in mind, in terms of how we as Christians think about these sorts of things, is it maybe best to just sort of plug our ears for a little bit? Or do we stay engaged or maybe to just sort of in and out as the situation necessitates? I think we have to stay engaged uh, for the sake of, you know, thinking about how we can can best, and this is another buzzword, engage the culture. Yeah. Uh, you know, this doesn't mean that we get ourselves wrapped up in the politics of the moment to respond to every controversy and, and issue, um, but we should be paying attention, uh, particularly in the in an era of swift news and, and, you know, news cycles end very quickly. We should be knowing what's going on, but not getting wrapped up in it. Yeah, because in, in terms of conservative Christians, then knowing where to engage, um, that's an article that you wrote recently in terms mm-hmm. of how to red state Christians and how do we understand our relationship to somebody mm-hmm. like Donald Trump. And and I haven't heard much more insight into what to do other than Christians sometimes saying, you know, I'm sort of going to plug my nose and uh, vote for the lesser of two evils. Is that a fair representation? Are there some different ways to talk about it? Because I don't hear people having other insight beyond that. Yeah, so the book that I was referring to is uh, my uh, pastor and journalist, Angela Denker is her name, and she wrote this book where she interviews Christians from around the country in, in conservative communities. And uh, she, that was part of it. You know, I just, I really don't think I can vote for the Democratic candidate, especially someone as polarizing as Hillary Clinton, so Donald Trump it is. There was also a sense of, uh, among some, that, you know, uh, we believe the United States was founded as a Judeo-Christian country. And so uh, Donald Trump is speaking our language, even if he's not speaking the language in any other way. Uh, so we'll vote for him. Maybe it's the Supreme Court uh, vacancy uh, in 2016, uh, you know, in terms of issues like abortion and religious liberty. Uh, or maybe it's just, uh, and this is what John Fia from Messiah College refers to as, as a fear-based motivation to say, look, our culture is slowly turning against Christianity and religious conservatives. And so if this buys us some time and we can shore up a little bit in our defenses— you know, it might be worth it. I think that's the comment that I hear most is the idea of being able to stem the tide. And I, I sort of yeah. thought ahead to places like 2020, 2024, 2028. Do you, do you sense that this sort of tide, I don't know what you want to call it, if it's secularism, yeah. if, it, if it's um, just sort of group think or government control, I'm not really sure how to frame it. But, but do you think that actually there is, is there even historical precedent that the kind of momentum we have as a culture towards secularism uh, suddenly shifts without some sort of major exo- exogenous event? I think we should, you know, hopefully and be praying for cultural renewal and, and be, you know, for, for, a, for a society where faith can flourish. Again, the U.S., in, in terms of other countries around the world, Christians are still very in a very, very good place in terms of the, able, the ability to worship freely and, and uh, share the gospel and, and all this kind of thing. Um, but, you know, with legal controversies and issues, you know, there are there is cause for concern. Uh, I, I would if I were a gambling man, I would certainly put my money on on the current trajectory to continue rather than an about face. But of course, God can do God can do many things. Yeah, and as you you've referenced, and I know you're in Arkansas at this point, which historically is a pretty significant red state mm-hmm. in terms of how it's mm-hmm. voted. And it is interesting to see even in some of the these two different trends, right, fighting back and forth of red state, blue state, and people increasingly are, are almost moving geographically where they can find themselves more in alignment from a state by state basis. And and that's an interesting trend as well. It's not civil war exactly, but no. that is sort of what happened during the time of the civil war. It, it was marked by geography in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, we're still seeing that a lot in terms of sorting. Uh, people are not only moving to communities where they're going to feel more comfortable and be around people they agree with, but just even online, right? Associating with folks that we agree with, we can live in echo chambers and not have to engage with the other side seriously, only do so when we're fighting with one another. Uh, I, I do think that presents a problem, and especially for Christians, as we're called to be in the world, not just specific communities. And that and that can be you really have to be able to I guess there, there's the fancy word exegesis which is to be able to look <laughs> at the scriptures and pull out the meaning of the scripture but sort of all day long you've got to exegete exegete the environment around us to understand a sure. bit more how people are thinking what their values are and yeah. and for you and you just referenced the idea of echo chambers and certainly that plays itself out in social media and in the kind of news outlets to which we listen. Do you have a sort of a discipline, a way of getting news and information that you subscribe to as opposed to just turning on whatever's there? Because increasingly we see things like the New York Times that came out this last week with a very unfair article on Justice Kavanaugh. But you can safely say conservative outlets do the same thing. So how do you come to a different conclusion or your conclusions about where we are besides just following news outlets? Yeah, I mean, I probably do the same kind of thing, though. You know, I wouldn't say that I'm enlightened in any respect, but, you know, I I tend to uh, get my sources and my news. You know, first, I'll go to major newspapers nationally. They have their problems, but I think the reporting is generally pretty strong. Uh, the the op-ed pages are where you could start to see some see some issues take place, um, but and so, so I think the biggest problem, honestly, if you're getting all your news from cable news outlets, that that becomes an issue because it, it, it really is an infotainment culture where you're where they're highlighting issues that play up to their subscribers and to their to their eyeballs really on television. Um, Go, go off, go off book a little bit. Look at your local papers. Look at your uh, look at some national outlets. And, and, you know, for me, it's The New York Times, Washington Post and Wall Street Journal, some competing ideological perspectives yep. there. Yeah. Um, but just be discerning. Right. Don't be critical. Be skeptical. Not in a bad way, but in a, in a healthy way. Yeah, because you just referenced the idea of the infotainment, and uh, I think we would be remiss if we didn't know that uh, this is not always a noble pursuit for journalistic fact that's happening for those of us in the media, that it often really is trying to shape somebody's opinion and also, most importantly, entertain to get eyeballs or clicks so that you can stay financially viable, right? Right. I tell my students in, in American government, you know, we talk about the media and its role in politics and they're always kind of frustrated. And I say, well, you know whose fault this is? And I say, it's our fault. It's your fault. It's my fault because we're the ones who are tuning in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Things. Absolutely. Well, before we run here, Daniel, you've got a book that's going to be coming out. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So it's a project. I'm calling it Uneasy Citizenship, Embracing the Tension in Faith and Politics. Uh, I wrote a recent piece for the Gospel Coalition that speaks to what I'm trying to say in the book. But really, it's this uh, marriage of my my uh, work as a political scientist and reading the literature on challenges that I see for Christians moving forward, not specific to Christians, but challenges that Christians are going to have to deal with, like political polarization, negative partisanship, demographic changes, etc. But then refocusing the conversation a bit more on how, how can Christians then lean on their identity in Christ and the hope that we have uh, in the resurrection, ultimately, to not get bogged down and not embrace fear and worry in our political lives? How do we do that productively? That's going to be brilliant. When do you see that coming out? Hopefully, you know, we're, I'm hoping to have it finished by late summer uh, 2020 uh, and then uh, ideally sometime early 2021. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. That would certainly be the right timing post uh, whatever the I election happens so. at this point. Right. So well, hope so. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us, Daniel. We've gotten some great uh, comments on our text line about the crowing rooster in the background. So, again, if yeah, politics excellent. doesn't work out, you can do a book like Living with Livestock or something. It was outstanding to hear the rooster. Sounds good. Thanks. We'll take a short break here, wrap up our first hour of the show, and preview what's coming up here next on Mornings with Carmen in Hour 2.
Well, we made it through the first hour there, Paul Perot. Those are some pretty heavy topics, but yeah. really important topics to stay enlightened on. And boy, we couldn't have better guests than people like Daniel Bennett and Matthew Hawkins to walk us through job. some of this stuff. Definitely. They really do. You know, I... Obviously, sometimes we have doubts about our faith, and sometimes we don't really know if what we're subscribing to or what we've given our life to in terms of following Jesus. I, I don't know anybody that if you get them off the record a little bit, doesn't say, yeah, you know, I don't know about all of this and, and the doubt and stuff. But I think what's interesting, when you look at the way Christians specifically have been persecuted and, and a significant energy directed at them uh, over all of these generations, and it's part of what we mm-hmm. covered a bit this morning, yeah. was that Christians really do sort of get a disproportionate, along with the Jewish faith historically, yeah. a disproportionate disproportionate energy associated with sort of trying to drive them out in a lot of different ways. And again, I don't know that that is fully explained by the fact that there's a spiritual force that is trying to bring darkness into the light. But I would say it's it's a pretty compelling explanation. And to try to understand a little bit more about what's happening there would be interesting conversation. Well, again, just go back to the life of Christ. I mean, it's not that he wasn't being Jewish. He actually was more Jewish than the Jews around him. Right. And... They didn't like it yeah. because he, he spoke of something higher. And he, he's, he basically was putting aside all these other personal kingdoms and other stuff. And it's like it, it was just too radical for a lot of people. It really is. And, and there's such a different power associated with the kingdom of God that is not this power over sort of approach that seeks mm-hmm. to dominate through maybe public office or positions of power and authority to then control everybody else. There's this power under kind of move that seeks to love and to shine a light in that kind of way. And it almost always reveals than the falsity of a different kind of power that is that is a very disordered power. So I think there is that energy that uh, Christians experience in order to, to keep walking this out. We need to continue to just be faithful. And as Jesus did, he walked it out of the cross and he, he took the full hits. And yet there was always a future and always a hope. He was part of the only kingdom that would endure. Now, are we willing to do what Christ did is the question. Are we willing question. to suffer to to that point, to yeah. proclaim God's goodness. Yeah, whatever my version of suffering is, that it, it, it pales in comparison to what you just described. So great first hour. We'll be back hour two here on Mornings with uh, Carmen. Stay with us for more. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.